You know, warnings are not popular things, are they? I mean, we have enough pride and enough um, stubbornness that when we're warned, we can take offense to it. But a warning is meant to help you, correct? Bridge out should not hurt your feelings, should it? No, thank you, Josh. Thank you. That, that will aid you in the future bonus and raise department. Hurricane warning, uh, tornado warning, nobody likes them, but they're, they're meant to help you, aren't they? They're meant to protect you. Uh, a warning is meant to give you guidance to help you do the right things or to be prepared for when the wrong things are coming. Now, if you were here this Sunday, this Sunday morning, you know I was fairly mean, and unfortunately, it's going to be mean again tonight. We're in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at warnings. But one thing we're trying to do in the next Sunday or two is get ready for revival. And revival takes place when God's people get right. Did you know that? And when God's people get right, then that allows the Holy Spirit the freedom to work for lost people to get saved. So one thing that we are, we're working towards this morning and tonight and next Sunday is for us getting ready when Scott is here in two weeks to, uh, to make sure we're not keeping the Holy Spirit from working. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, folks, we're going to look at verse 26 through 31, and these are confusing verses. They're very difficult. They're couched by the context before it's clearly written to Christians, the context after it's clearly written to Christians, but this is confusing, and there's a lot of debate among scholars. So I'm going to tell you tonight the two things, the two groups of people I think this is talking to. Here's the first one. This is religious, the religious lost person. This is the religious person who is not a Christian. Now, again, scholars, scholars dis- disagree greatly on this. Some will say without a shadow of a doubt this passage is just talking to lost people, the religious lost people, which I'm going to address here. Some think it is talking to Christian people, which I'm going to address in just a moment. Some people think it's saying that... that uh, it's addressed to Christians and it's talking about losing their salvation, which I do not think that it is talking about that. But let's look at the first thing, the religious lost person. And, and this is a person, number one, who has been thoroughly exposed to the truth, okay? The religious lost person being addressed in this passage is someone who has been thoroughly exposed to Christianity. By the way, look at me just a second. That includes everyone in this room. Folks, there's not a person in this room tonight that if you were to have to stand before God tomorrow has an excuse that you did not know the truth, okay? So all of us have been thoroughly exposed to the truth. Look in verse 26. Again, these are tough verses. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. Now, one of the thoughts was Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people, Jewish people. These were, these were Jewish Christians or these were Jewish people who had made a profession of faith. They had joined the church and some of them now are turning their back on God. They're walking away from Christ and the church. The word knowledge there, knowledge of the truth. Knowledge means a clear or exact knowledge. Listen to this. It is a knowledge that exerts influence on one's life, Okay. This is where it's confusing. It's easy to say right now, that's a Christian. We'll see in a moment that we're talking about a lost person, though, here too. This is a person who has a knowledge of the truth. What does that mean? This is a person who has been exposed to the gospel, who understands that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross, who arose from the grave. 
who ascended to heaven will someday come back to earth, who understands that salvation is found in faith in Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that? You've been exposed to the truth, haven't you? It's been laid out to you. This is a person, number two, who, who is part of the church, or at least was for a season. Hebrews was not written to primarily the atheist or the, the pagan who never went to church. And this is a person, a religious person, a religious lost person, who's been thoroughly exposed to the truth and, and was a part of the church at least for a season. See, this is where it gets a little scary for us. This is someone who at least was, maybe at this time was not, in the fellowship of believers. They looked like a Christian. They smelled like a Christian. They felt like a Christian. They carried their Bibles, and they knew the secret hand. You know the secret handshake, don't you, here at First Baptist? You've been taught that. that that's who he's talking about here, people who know the, know the truth, been exposed to it, part of the church for a season. But here's the third thing, and this is where it gets tough. They willfully and continually reject Christ and his way. Willfully and continually reject Christ in his way. Look in verse 26 again. If we deliberately keep on sinning, missing the mark is what that means with sin. Sin there. Missing the mark. Trespassing. Falling short of what God's told us to do. After we have been exposed thoroughly to the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left. That's an Old Testament reference to when said no testament when a person continued to sin willfully deliberately that they couldn't they didn't need to keep offering sacrifice for the sin because God simply was not going to forgive that sin now folks in in one aspect every sin has some deliberateness to it doesn't it correct I mean there's times you say something and it comes out before you meant it to or you lose your temper but almost all of our sin has some deliberateness to it so you read this at first and you go oh my goodness this is me well it may be I don't know but but this isn't talking about you and I doing things that we know we shouldn't do this is talking about a person who willfully and continually basically goes against God Defiantly is what it's talking about here. They thumb their nose at God and his command. Look in verse 29. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God? Trample means to show disdain on or tread on or reject God who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant. Folks, in the Old Testament, the blood's what, what made the covenant what, it's wa- what it was. In the New Testament, it's the blood of Christ to treat it not as sacred, not as holy, not as special. And look how he ends this verse. And who has insulted the Spirit of grace, who has rejected or blown off the Holy Spirit. I was reading this week about an English novelist who's long been dead and her name Sir Kingsley Amos. Sir Kingsley, at least most of his life, was an atheist. And he had a disdain for God. He met a Russian writer once who, this was in the 1960s, who thought everyone that lived in England on west to America was a Christian. When he met Sir, Sir uh, Kingsley, he said, Sir, I hear you're not a Christian, that you're an atheist. And Sir Kingsley said, I'm not only an atheist, but I hate God. 
Now, what I would wanted to ask him is this. How, why do you hate something you don't even believe it exists? Isn't that kind of honorary and funny? But, folks, if you say you hate God, that's clear disdain for God, isn't it? Let me give you another story that may drive this home in a better way, though, than an atheist. Because that's not probably who this passage was directly talking about. There was a, a well-known New Testament Bible scholar, F.F. F. Bruce, who studied in England for a season. And while he was in England, he made friends with a man from West Africa. And they would meet regularly to study German as part of their Ph.D. work. And this, uh, this West African man had grown up in a, quote, Christian home. He had gone to Christian schools. But F.F. F. noticed uh, oftentimes in the evenings after they would finish their coffee and their studies, this man, man would slip off to the red light district. Need I say more? You know the red light district is the no-no place, bad place. And uh, he did that frequently. He was a married man. Finally, one night, F.F. said to him, he goes, you know, how can you leave here with your wife at home after we study and you go and you're, you're, you're obviously involved in an improper relationship with someone that's not your wife? How can you do that? What would you do to your wife as she was doing? And he said, in my culture, it's acceptable for me to do this. And my culture, if my wife did this, it would be acceptable to kill her. And finally, F.F. looked at him and said, but you profess to be a Christian. You, you went to Christian schools. You grew up a Christian. He said, oh, no, no, no. God is gracious. God is love. God is forgiving. In fact, that is God's job. God must forgive me as he got up and walked off to the red light district. Folks, I want to tell you, that's trampling on the Son of God. That's insulting the Holy Spirit when that behavior is, is seen. And he says this last thing about this person. They are headed for a terrible future. Terrible future. Verse 27. Let's read this through 31. What, what's in store for this person? Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses, you rejected the law of Moses, you died without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses, Old Testament, you committed certain crimes and two or three people saw you did it, you died. How much more severely should someone be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as unholy the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who has insulted the Holy Spirit? Listen to this, verse 30. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Folks, here's what God says. God said to this person who was a part of the church, who was looked religious, smelled religious, acted religious, but in their heart they had insulted the Holy Spirit, they rejected the Holy Spirit, they were disrespectful to God. Now, get a hold of this. The Bible says God is not asleep. God is not dead. Notice it said the living God. We do not have an absentee God. God is love. God is merciful. But God is also just. And God says, listen, you trample on me here on this earth. Eventually, there's going to come a judgment. And for the person who doesn't know Christ, 
especially for that religious person who is willfully rejected and spurned God and the Holy Spirit, hell is in the future. I think we just got an amen, didn't we? (laughs) I want to ask you a real hard question. Is that you tonight? You know, the fact that hell's going to be full of a lot of wicked people is terrible, but not surprising. The fact that hell's going to be full of a lot of religious people is terrible. That's the truth. This person in this passage is a very difficult passage. One clear interpretation is it's a religious lost person. Here's a second, I think, very valid interpretation. This is a Christian who is strongly moving in the wrong direction. Hope you passed that first test. I hope that first one wasn't you. But here's the second option. It's a Christian strongly moving in the wrong direction. Now, now folks, here's where the interpretation of this passage is so difficult. It's pretty easy for me to look at that and say that's a lost person. But the context is so weird. Right above it, it's talking about being in church and how important it is to be in church right after this. In verse 32, it says, remember those early days after you received the light? And it talks to them about living as, as Christians. He uses the word we here in this passage. We deliberately keep sinning. I think it was talking about religious lost people, but he's talking about Christian people who, for whatever reason, are moving in the wrong direction. Let's look at this. Uh, As a Christian, this is someone, number one, who knows what's right but continues to do what's wrong. They know what's right, but they continue to do what's wrong. If we deliberately keep on sinning, missing the mark, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge is is an exact knowledge, a knowledge that has exerted influence on one's life. That sounds in many ways like a Christian. He uses the word, if we... He uses it twice in this one sentence. If we keep sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, it seems pretty clear to me that one interpretation, this is a safe person. It's a safe person who's got a hard heart. It's a safe person who's willfully on a wrong track. And I'm old enough to know that there's a lot of saved people that are like this. It's a saved person for whatever reason. They've got bitter. They've got angry. They've got lazy. They've got apathetic. They're arrogant. And they're hardening their heart toward God. They harden their heart toward their connection group teacher, towards their preacher, towards their friends. They don't listen. They got it figured out. They're headed in the wrong direction. It's that person who lives by the philosophy. It's better to ask for permission than for, or forgiveness than permission. You ever heard that dumb thing? That's a dumb thing, isn't it? I want to tell you, if you'd have grown up in my house, you would have never believed that was a good quote. <laughs> if you know God, that's never a good quote. I saw something this week that I thought fit what this was saying to the Christians. Let not God's word, O Lord, become a judgment on me, that I hear it and do it not, that I believe it and obey it not. That's the person here that hears it but doesn't do it, that believes it and doesn't obey it. You see, the problem in our churches today is not that we don't hear the word of God. You know, I get tickled. I talk to people, I listen to eight sermons a week. You're bored. 
what do you do for a living? Come to church, get a couple in you, and be done with it till next Sunday. Read your Bible. Read good books. We are so exposed to the truth, and yet we do so little of it. We do so little of it. This is the person who is a Christian who knows what's right and continues to do what's wrong. Secondly, they're disrespectful to God and the things of God. Verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God, who's shown disrespect for the Son of God, who is treated as unholy, as unworthy, as unsacred the blood of the covenant, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? I want to ask you a real hard question. Are you disrespectful and dishonoring to God and the things of God? Several years ago, it's a long time ago, a decade ago, I had a friend who, he, uh, he had a, a lunch meeting with a couple of ministers that he and I knew. These weren't like Billy Graham and Chuck Swindoll or Andy Stanley and David Platt or anybody. I mean, these were just some, some guys that preachers who were bored know, you know, in our circles. But they were well-known guys. And I said, what were these guys like? Here's what he said. He said, man, they were almost blasphemous when they talked about God, when they talked about the things of God when they talked about their church, when they talked about their ministries. He said it, it, put, it made the hair, and this is an old man thing, you know, hair on his back stand up. You never want to hear your wife say that, do you? <laughs> and strangely enough, within a year, both of them had lost both of their ministry positions out in the world. You know, ministers can be disrespectful and, and even blasphemous of the things of God. I know that firsthand. I know this too. I'm going to throw the ball back at you. So can church members. For whatever reason, in our churches a lot of times we, we have a, an unholy attitude towards our ministers, towards our churches. You know, I, I get tickled in a sad way when I hear people act like church is important. Folks, this is the body of Jesus Christ. He said, this is his bride. Any man that's worth his salt will never let you talk about his bride. Anybody that's intelligent won't let you hurt their body. But yet we talk about and we treat our church as it's another club. We seem, ministers and lay people alike, we seem to have such a casual attitude towards God and the things of God. And the Bible says that God never, ever, ever does he overlook that. A lady I was reading about this week in a book had gone to a store and she bought a sweater. It was in a big tub where they have sales and she saw it. It said $8 and she liked the color so she got it and she said it was an $8 sweater, and, and women, you understand, this is hunting for y'all, so y'all understand this. And so she said an $8 sweater is no big deal. She took it, kind of wadded it up, threw it in her cart, took it. They checked it out. It was an $8 sweater. It was on the sale rack or whatever. She took it home. She threw it. She said for a while, even spent some time on the floor, and she got it, and she put it in her closet. A few days later, she got it out and began to look at it. She goes, my goodness, this is silk. And she said it was so soft, and she put it on, and it felt so good. And it was an $8 sweater, and then she found the real price, and it was a $125 sweater. 
And she said, I'd been treating something as invaluable and as just a, you know, almost just a piece of cloth that I bought cheaply that was really, uh, for her at least, a high-priced sweater. I'm afraid we do that with the things of God. You see, the problem when we become too familiar with things, if we're not careful, we lose the all of it, don't we? I think that's one of the things God was saying to these people here. Because, man, when you're disrespectful to God and the things of God, you're careless. We're careless with the things of God. It's not going to go well. And the, the third thing he says here, in our sin, we hurt the Holy Spirit. We hurt the Holy Spirit. In verse 29, the last part of it, we have insulted the Spirit of grace. Folks, anytime God's people, you and me, who have the Holy Spirit in us, when we backslide, when we're disrespectful, when we rebel against God, we hurt the Spirit of God in us. Ephesians 4.30 says this. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, leave that there for a second. A lot of times we think of God as being anti-feeling or He's above feeling. The Holy Spirit is God. What does it say there? Don't grieve, don't make sad the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed with for the day of redemption. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, look what it says. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. I like how the King James words that better. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Folks, you have, if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. The problem, many of us have him bottled up in our big toe. To be filled with the Spirit is an everyday occurrence. It's not something supernatural or odd. Being filled is synonymous with being controlled by. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit or controlled by the Spirit is to be controlled by Jesus. You are filled with the Spirit by living a surrendered, God-honoring life. That's how you are filled with the Spirit. That needs to happen every day in your life and my life. And when we willfully reject God, we willfully go against God, when we're disrespectful to God and the things of God, you may have the Spirit, but He doesn't have you. That's what this is saying. You got your water hose out in the last week, and you've used it. One thing you got to do with the water hose is you got to watch. You got to get the kinks out of it, don't you? Because you can have the prettiest, best water hose connected to the greatest hydrant in the world, but if it's all wadded up, you're going to get what? Just a little, <laughs> a little trickle. You got to straighten it out. You got to get the kinks out to let the water flow. You know why a lot of churches are dying on the vine today? A lot of Christians' lives are, are fruitless, joyless, unaffected because the Spirit is crunched up by our sin. We've insulted the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this last warning here. God will deal with us sternly. This is written to a lost person. I believe it's written to a Christian. What does it mean God will deal with us sternly? Verse 27, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire. Now, that sounds like hell. Folks, but fire in the Bible not only can mean hell, but it can mean a purifying thing for Christians, a refining thing. Verse 28 and 29, you reject the law of Moses. You died on the, without mercy on the two witnesses. How much more severely will a man be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, treated the blood as unworthy, has insulted the Holy Spirit? Now, please look closely at verse 30 and 31. For we know whom said, it is my to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge who? Who's that say there? His people. 
It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Folks, what does this mean here? Well, it it can mean that God can ultimately say to a church or to a Christian, I've had enough. We see this in Revelation, God told those churches. You don't straighten up, there won't be a church here in the future. By the way, there's no churches where those seven places are today. God can say to a Christian, God can literally say to a Christian, I've had enough, you're going on to heaven. Did you know that? 1 John chapter 5, there's some two interesting verses together. It says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Folks, most scholars believe there that is not talking about eternal death. That's talking about a Christian crossing the line with God, and God says, enough's enough. You're going on to heaven. We're real silly if we don't think God takes our relationship and our walk with him very seriously. said it this morning. I'll say it again tonight. Bible says some of us are going to be saved as by fire. We're going to get to heaven, but we're going to smell like smoke. It's serious business. How many of in your life, how many of you tonight at some point have had someone look at you and they've just finished a speech and then they look at you and say, you've been warned? How many of you have heard that before in your life? I know my daughter has because I've done it to her a thousand times. Most of us have. Most of us had a parent say that. Most of us have had a boss. Maybe they didn't use those exact words, but they basically laid out, look, here's the deal. And I've, I've told you, that's a nice way of saying you've been warned. And I think, I think what God would say to us tonight is this was in the Bible for a reason so that you can know clearly God's view on this subject, we've been warned. So the question is, as it always is, what will we do with what God says? Tonight, if you're not a Christian, when we give the invitation in a moment, maybe you're real religious, but you've never been born again, will you come tonight and give your life to Christ? Will you come tonight and cross that line and make peace with God? You want to join the church, you can come tonight and you can do that. You're a Christian here. Many of you, many, many, many of you are Christians tonight. I want to ask you honestly, is your life disrespectful to God and to the Spirit of God? If so, will you leave your seat? Will you come to the altar? Will you pray with a minister? Will you do business with God? We've been warned. My challenge for all of us is that we act on it. Let's stand. God leads.